the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD and certification, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property law. And because I of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, now with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and as I've shared with you before, I always will be mostly brat, but, you know, sometimes military brat, (laughs) and I also helped create another generation of military brats uh, with my former spouse, who was also in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And yeah, I'm a daddy's girl. I admit it. I had a dad who gave back big time to this country via his service in the military and who informed me that I, too, had a duty to give back to my community, to our society and to our universe. Yeah. Through my service of some kind of my own choosing in return for the great gifts that God had given me. And on top of having a really great dad who is committed to helping steer me in the right direction as I was preparing to leave his nest, I had the great fortune to both know and spend a lot of time with and then actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers. 
both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century, that is to say the Great Depression, World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that impact them negatively economically that I have to tell you continues through into our society today. And it's because of these wonderful women who helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South. It is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me in spirit, urging me on to do the right thing, along with my dad, that when the situation is right, through my current chosen form of service, that is to say practicing and also speaking about and writing about the law, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of women and seniors and those who are disabled uh, and find themselves the targets of and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, or at least you don't have a sufficient amount thereof to cover your overall financial picture. And I want to help you think about out loud what you need to do or what you need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets, but especially if you are carrying debt. So today we're going to continue our review of our 236-year-old U.S. Constitution by continuing to discuss Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 of the United States Constitution that deals with our fiscal appropriations process and is stated in the negative, that is to say, it is one of the powers that is denied Congress unless it can pass a certain hurdle. Specifically, it states that no money that's in our treasury can be pulled out and used by anyone, but in consequence of an formal appropriation made by law in a legal process, in the congressional process. And in addition, there needs to be a record of accounts that's made available for us, we the people, to check out from time to time. And I'm adding a few more clauses and one amendment that are stated in the positive, to put that in the mix of our discussion. That is to say, they are powers granted to Congress that is are closely tied to our appropriation budgetary process. Specifically, I want to talk about Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, and Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 of our wonderful United States Constitution. And it deals with direct taxes. 
that are subject to the rule of apportionment, meaning Congress must set the total amount to be raised by direct taxes on us and then divide that amount amongst the states according to our population. Now, the lack of these particular sections of the Constitution, and just as an aside, uh, one of these sections talks about slaves. And so I'm not going to read it because every time I read it, I get kind of pissed off. So I'm just going to talk generally about these sections. However, because there was like confusion going on with these particular article sections of our Constitution, the lack of clarity surrounding the meaning of a direct tax ultimately led to the adoption of the 16th Amendment, which authorizes Congress to impose taxes on income without following that apportionment rule. Okay, so as usual, I've used all sorts of reliable and easily verifiable source materials for this portion, this presentation, including well-respected non-partisan, non-profit organizations such as the United States Constitution itself and the scholarly writings of legal experts who write about it for the National Constitution Center and the folks at the Committee for a Responsible Budget, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization committed to educating the public on the issues of significance dealing with fiscal policy. And I also use, uh, and I use it quite frequently, uh, the financial media website Investopedia that uh, was founded back in 1999. It provides investment dictionaries what, that I use a lot, advice, reviews, ratings, and it does comparisons of financial products and services. Investopedia is located or headquartered in New York City, and it, you can find it on the World Wide Web at investopedia.com. Now, uh, you know, uh, again, today we're going to look at uh, Article 1 of our Constitution, and I'm going to go back and use the Congressional Budget Office. And we talked about the Congressional Research Service last week, and there are three primary legislative branch agencies, meaning that these agencies, most agencies are under the auspices of the executive branch, the president, but there are some uh, uh, agencies that are under Congress and controlled by Congress. And these are um, agencies that help Congress do the research, the background work uh, that our Congress people need to be able to come up with policy that makes sense. So one of them is the Congressional Research Service that we talked about last week. And then uh, what I'm going to talk about again today is the Congressional Budget Office. And then the, there's three sisters. And the other one is the um, the Government Accountability Office. And they try to track down fraud. They conduct investigations and evaluate federal programs to make sure that they're on target. So why am I tying these distinct resources together today? I do so to lay the foundation to hopefully entice all of you folks out there in radio land and podcast land to get in touch with our, you know, your elected officials, your elected member of commerce, to hammer them to take these steps appropriately commence and complete the appropriations process such that our government will stay open 
November 17th, when the existing continuing resolution expires. Number two, focus on shoring up the Social Security Trust Fund, lest those of us who are baby boomers who will fall off the employment rolls into this black hole where we don't have sufficient funding to help us in our old age. And three, to let them know that you know about a case called Moore v. United States and that we want them to know that we know about so they can put a plan in place in case the Supreme Court rules as anticipated. Now, we'll get deeper in the weeds on these three things that I want you to focus on when we come back. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic. That is to say, using the interconnection and interrelatedness of a few sections of our 236-year-old U.S. Constitution, including Article 1, Section 9, dealing with the congressional appropriation and budgeting process, along with Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, and Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 of the Constitution, dealing with Congress's taxing authority regarding direct taxes that are subject to the rule of apportionment. That is, again, where originally... If Congress wanted to raise taxes, it would have to come up with a number and then divide it throughout the 13 original colonies based on the population. But um, that caused a lot of confusion as to what Congress could and could not tax and why. So this um, uh, confusion led to the adoption of the 16th Amendment, which authorized Congress to impose taxes on income without that apportionment requirement. So again, I'm talking about these interrelated aspects of um, our founding document uh, to hopefully entice you folks out there in radio land and podcast land to get in touch with your elected member of Congress and hammer them to take these three steps Inasmuch as now the place, a Speaker of the House, we want them to appropriately commence and complete the appropriations process such that our government will stay open past November 17, 2023, when the current continuing resolution expires. Number two, we want them to focus on shoring up the Social Security Trust Fund, lest those of us baby boomers who are about to stop being employed, Um, You know, we roll off into this no person's land and face um, the likelihood of not having sufficient Social Security to take care of us in our declining years. And finally, I want to share with you a case, the case of Moore v. United States, that I want you to let them know that we know about. And um, especially if uh, the Supreme Court rules as we expect it to do. Uh, after it has oral argument on December 5th of this year. So why am I talking about Social Security? 
well, it's important. <laughs> in a nutshell, starting in 2021, the funding mechanism for our Social Security benefits, that is to say payroll taxes and the interest income, ceased to produce enough to cover the current benefits that need to be paid out to people who are already retired. Then last year in 2022, the Social Security started to draw down the principal held in trust funds of excess income it had accumulated over its lifetime to make up that gap. If nothing changes, the trust fund will be exhausted in the year 2034. Now, that doesn't mean that Social Security benefits will go away. It means that unless Congress comes up with a new funding source or sources, benefits will have to be reduced by about 25% across the board. This is because the funding source for Social Security are the FICA taxes or the self-employment taxes that each of us pay that goes into a pool, not to pay ourselves like our IRS, but goes into a pool to pay the people that have already been, who are already retired. That is to say, to pay our fellow citizens who have already reached retirement age. Now, that system worked well if there were enough young people paying into the system, the largest cohort of Americans since the greatest generation who won World War II. That is to say, us baby boomers. And as such, and as you know, the younger generations are not having the 3.8 children that my parents and the other parents of the uh, who gave birth to us baby boomers had. And instead, young folks are having 1.8 children, if any at all. So that's the rub. There's not enough FICA tax coming in to pay for the people that are retiring. So how do we fix this? Many say we either have to decrease the benefits or increase the FICA tax or raise the limit on the amount of income that's taxed. Currently, that amount is around $160,000. So if you make four or $500,000 a year, you only pay that FICA on the first one hundred and sixty. dollars So those who have very high incomes have their um, Social Security FICA tax cap. I say we should do none of those things, except maybe raising that cap on the people who make a whole lot of money. But I think instead we should focus on increasing taxes in general, just the taxes that are paid, uh, income tax uh, for people with very, very high income. Those making more than $500,000 a year and all corporations. And use some of that newfound money in quotation to replenish the Social Security Trust Fund. So why would I say that? Why would I use that heresy? Why would I make all the Republicans in Congress hair fall out? Well, let's look at that one of the documents uh, produced by the Congressional Budget Office. Again, uh, it's the fiscal federal budget for fiscal year 20 to see where I'm coming from. Okay, I've sh- I shared some of this with you on previous show, but the way it works is as part of that documenting the budget process, This year, um, well, 
2023, which the fiscal year just passed on uh, September 30th, um, there will be in uh, the spring of 2024, uh, one of these templates that shows the budget. So the one that I'm looking at right now was produced in the spring of 2023, and it looks back on the federal budget for fiscal year 2022. And as I share with you on one of my other shows that we've done, um, there is a gap in the amount of funding that comes in. We spend more than $6 trillion a year, every year. And of that, 4.1 of it goes to mandatory services, mandatory payments for like Social Security and um, Medicare, Medicaid, income security programs, and the like. Okay, Um, but if we only generate, okay, so if we generate $6.320, where does that money come from? That's what I want want to get at. The money mostly comes from individual taxpayers, you and me. And um, let me just go and find that picture. Here it is. We outlay $6.3 trillion every year. We only generate $4.9 trillion from taxes. So who produces the most taxes? $2.6 trillion and some change comes from individual income taxpayers, people like you and me. And how much do the corporations pay? You're not going to believe it. Four. $125 billion. Why is that? Why don't we increase the amount of corporate income taxes that are due to create a pool of funds that can be used to repopulate, replenish the Social Security Trust Fund so that all of us grannies and and great grannies can have enough money to live off of? Because most of us that is the main of income. There's a growing number of seniors who are finding themselves homeless, and that's a shame. Okay? So the other thing I want you to be able to articulate to your member of Congress is that on December 5th of this year, the Supreme Court was going to hear oral arguments on a very important tax law case called Moore v. United States. And I use some information that was provided to me by the American for Tax Fairness and Action to talk about this. Bottom line is, the 16th Amendment authorizes Congress to lay taxes on income without appropriation. And what does that mean? That means that you have to pay taxes on unrealized as well as realized profit. So an unrealized uh, profit would be profit... Say you're, you're, you buy a, a piece of, you buy some shares of stock at $10 and they go up to $20. If you leave them in the corporation, that's an unrealized gain. But if you take it out, that's a realized gain. And that means that you would likely have to pay tax on it. This Supreme Court case, uh, and, and historically in our country, um, there are certain provisions where, uh, um, 
you can be taxed on unrealized gain. But this uh, lawsuit, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the plaintiff, will say that unrealized gains are uh, taxing that is unconstitutional. And if that happens, all hell going to break loose because we are going to lose a substantial amount of tax revenue going forward. Tax revenue that we need now and some of which that we could use to replenish the Social Security Trust Fund. So I'm running out of time. So we're going to pick this discussion up the next time we get together. But I'm going to say bye for now. Stay tuned because this is a very important uh, conversation that we all need to have concerning how are we going to fairly allocate the responsibility for managing our budget across all of us in an equitable manner. So till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.